Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. As we promised, we're still just talking about football. I know there's other stuff going on. There's a bunch of media days coming up. you got the SEC this week. you got the ACC this week. We will cover those this week. But I have Ari Wasserman here, and we want to talk about games because we're having fun talking about games. We still don't have stakes for our bet on LSU-UCLA. Remember, I'm giving Ari 15 points on that one. So we need something somewhat embarrassing for one of us to have to do if we lose that bet. But Ari, uh, that game, by the way, spoiler alert, we're going to mention that in, in this week's topic as well. But if you listen to last week's show, I brought this up and I, I thought this would be something we should explore a little bit more at a later date. And that later date is now. And it's games that change our expectations for one or both teams. These are early season games where we're watching them and we go, whoa, okay, what I thought this team was, it is not. It is something completely different. And the one that always jumps out to me that sort of changed everything for for both teams involved in the game was the 2008 season opener in Atlanta between Alabama and Clemson. This was supposed to be Tommy Bowden's best team at Clemson. Nick Saban was going into his second year at Alabama, but they had not been particularly great in his first year. They'd lost Louisiana in a row. They just made the Independence Bowl. It wasn't, wasn't like they were a rousing success. Alabama blew Clemson's doors off, and you realized, okay, Alabama is completely different from what we thought. Clemson is completely different from what we thought. And that, of course that game ultimately led to the firing of, of Tommy Bowden. Uh, and one of the greatest quotes I've ever heard in my life, which was Tommy Bowden to me when I was writing a, a retrospective on Dabo Sweeney's 10th year as the head coach, uh, Tommy Bowden said, never lose to Wake Forest on a Thursday because that will always get you fired. Ari Wasserman, we have a, a, a pretty good list of games here for this week, this year. We, we picked from week one and week two. We didn't, sorry, week zero, we're ignoring you here, but Week one and week two, and and Ari, this this is the thing I love about the preseason, the offseason, because we get these narratives going, and I love when they just explode right off the bat. My favorite types of shows uh, that I do with you are the ones where you tell you come up with the idea w- with just talking to yourself, because uh, those turn out to be <laughs> great shows. Um, and it's kind of like the same thing with that, right? We are talking and talking and talking, and... You know, all it takes is one or two results to change the way that we were viewing the entire offseason. So um, the idea of looking at these games as potential turning points for multiple teams, I think, is interesting. You know, and the thing about that Clemson, Alabama game, at least for one program, is it changed the way that we viewed the entire program. And I think that some of these games that I'm looking at that you sent over, um, I feel like certain results of those games might make you feel like, hey, uh, this team in three or four years might be different. You know, these are foundational games. And I know that, you know, sometimes it's easy to take one result of an early season game and, you know, go completely off track. 
But, you know, as we get into these one by one, I think it'll send a message uh, pretty quickly about where those programs are headed. So I'm excited to get into this stuff. Yeah. And, and, and the other piece of it is we may have hyped a team up all offseason and then that hype is gone. Sometimes for the best and, and sometimes it's wrong. Sometimes it's they just played a bad game and then they come back and end up having a good season. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting because I always think about the, the Michigan Appalachian State game. And just an earth-shattering event that was. And then the next week they lose to Oregon. We think, oh my gosh, Michigan season. That, that Michigan team actually turned out pretty good. Actually wound up about as good as we thought it was going to be by the end of the season. But nobody remembers that. <laughs> we just remember Appalachian State and then the Dennis Dixon Oregon team with, with Chip Kelly running the offense. So, But it also uh, turned out yeah, that that Appalachian State team was also excellent. Oh, they were awesome. I mean, but they, yeah. they'd won two national titles in a row. So no, no, I, no, I know. But like the idea... The idea of just what that team actually was, I think that we needed to see them beat a team. And I think that Michigan team turned out to be just a regular average or a little bit above average power five team. And even though no, no, it was a, it was a good team. They, they crushed Heisman winner, Tim Tebow in the bowl game. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I remember that year because that was the year where I was doing a bowl bowl pool pick them. And that was one of those bowl pool pick them where I felt like you or where you had to put your, your confidence level up. And mm-hmm. I had my confidence and completely on Florida in that game. Cause I think the spread was like six points and I thought Florida was going to d- blow their doors off. And I had like a thousand dollars on the line and Michigan came out and just blew out Florida. And oh, it was yeah. just like, Oh my God, I really misread that. And, but I, I don't, I don't know. I think that that Michigan team in general was just, you know, a, a solid power five team that year. And it kind of opened the doors a little bit about what an excellent, FCS team is actually capable of when things are going the right yes. way. Now that was, I'm not trying to say that wasn't one of the best upsets of all time, but it was an excellent, excellent football team for their level beating a team that was pretty good for their level, but, but wasn't a hundred percent what they should have been. And sometimes, you know, as we've seen things like this develop over the, you know, 15 years since that happened or however long it's been that, the names on the helmets aren't always what you get. And I've tried to do my best to sift through that. And sometimes recruiting rankings get in my brain a little bit as you guys witnessed in some <laughs> of the, the losses I had last year, but yeah, certainly I think was a defining defining moment for college football, not just that season. Well, and, and I feel like we got cheated not getting to see uh, North Dakota state Oregon last year. That would have been a lot of fun because we, we've, we've seen North Dakota state in a few of those games against, FBS schools, but not against a what is perceived to be a really good FBS program, and that's what and it would have been I, great I just to see Trey Lance in that environment too. Oh, it would have been awesome. But let's let's go back to this year, and and we'll start with one which it's interesting because this is a, this is one of those where obviously if the underdog wins, it will change the way we think about both programs. But if the expected result happens. It also could mean one program could be in for a really tough season and a really weird season because it's North Carolina at Virginia Tech. This is Friday night, and this is I, – I feel like it's magnified because it is the best game of the Friday night of the first week. Everyone who cares about college football is going to be watching it, every single person. And what we think is going to happen is that North Carolina is going to go up there and win comfortably – and if that happens, 
that in and of itself will be a story that you have to follow because then it's Virginia Tech. Uh oh, are they are they ever going to turn it around? Or just Justin Fuente, or is this is this it? Is this the best you can hope for? I think I disagree with you on this one. Um, really? I think okay. That, I, I think because this isn't the way I viewed it when I read your list. My my thought process was North Carolina's over under. If you listen to our over unders episode, oh, if Virginia Tech year, wins, it, it yeah, changes everything. I think yeah. the stakes are much higher for North Carolina because if North Carolina goes into Virginia Tech and and wins comf- comfortably, that's just the expected result. And the idea of North Carolina turning the corner and actually becoming a force in the ACC goes out the window immediately on, on a Friday night as the season is beginning, you have to recalibrate your brain on how you view Mac Brown's build. And that's, I I've been to an away game at Virginia tech and those guys get loud. Uh, and oh, they yeah. enter Sandman. Th- I mean, that's a tough play. I mean, that's a tough opener for North Carolina. I think North Carolina is a much better football team and I would expect them to win. But I think that for the first time in a long time, the expectation is that North Carolina has to win a game on the road like this. And that is completely different from, you know, I'm not so sure I'm I'm as wound up about Virginia Tech side of things as I am about UNC playing with expectations of being really, really good and actually exceeding those expectations or meeting those expectations. See, I, I still think now, obviously, Virginia Tech wins. That is going to be a huge story. We have to recalibrate our expectations for North both Carolina. programs. Exactly. We have to say, OK, now is Virginia Tech a contender for the Coastal? Because that North Carolina is the team we think is going to win the Coastal. So big, big, big if Virginia Tech wins. But I still think if North, because remember, North Carolina hammered Virginia Tech in embarrassing fashion last year. That was one of the two games where North Carolina could not be stopped on the ground. And if something like that happens again, the Fire Fuente crowd will be out in force. Remember, there was all that weird stuff right around National Signing Day, the, the February Signing Day, where they, they called a press conference, but it was just going to be the, the AD, and Justin Fuente's buyout just happened to be dropping the day before, and it was like, what's going on here? And they had to send out something clarifying, no, 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 Justin Fuente will be available on Signing Day, he's still the coach. But that's the part where even if the expected result happens, I think it's still a story, and I think it's still something that that we will be half we will be following closely because Virginia Tech is a really good football program. Virginia Tech is one one of those jobs that everybody looks at as like, ooh, you know, if I could get there, I could get some guys from the Tidewater area. I could go down and maybe get some guys from from DC. I could really get things rolling there. It's one of those it's one of those jobs on paper that has all the all the things in, in place for you to be very, very good. If it's the weakest it right. division in college football and in, in power five football. You know, all, all of that, all of that is true. And so I do think if the expected result happens, we'll get that. But if the unexpected happens, if Virginia tech does win that game, it blows up everything we thought about that entire division. And then things get interesting. What do you think the spread of that game is off the top of your head? Not looking at it. Oh boy. Okay. Um, let's see the last time North Carolina was there. They, they lost in six overtimes. Virginia Tech won, and in, in the first that was the first one where you had to do basically the two point conversion penalty kicks, and then last year was that embarrassing uh, just blowout win in Chapel Hill. North Carolina minus six point five. It's five and a half. That's close. Five and um, okay. But that you know, it's actually a little bit. Uh, it's in that. So when you say comfortably, what do you think comfortably is by a touchdown? 
Uh, no, comfortably would be by by more than two touchdowns. Because you would like North Carolina in that game, right? I would, although it goes against one of my rules. Uh, one of my general rules is never, never bet against a home underdog on a weeknight. Especially in the opener? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to be rocking in Lane Stadium. Yeah. So I, that that gives me a little bit of pause. That five and a half seems about it, – it feels like they've accounted for that, and that's why it's at five and a half. If North Carolina goes out and wins like even 80% of the way that they won a year ago, that could be the game. Because when you came up with this idea last week when we were doing the podcast, you said – Games that might be looked back at in three years as a transitional game, not just what we view about these teams now. This could be the game where North Carolina arrives with everybody watching them in a loud stadium on the road on a weeknight against a conference opponent to open the season. They go out, they win comfortably on the road in that environment. Um, You know, it might be fool's gold. I mean, we'll find out, uh, you know, seven, six weeks down the road. Uh, but that could also be the game where you, North Carolina arrives as a really good football team and must watch television in this sport. And and they are a fun team to watch. Just just sure. the way they pile up points, the way they, uh, they'll mix up the run and the pass, and and <laughs> in very exciting ways. So yeah, I, I'm with you there. Our next game is the game that we've talked about multiple times on this podcast. That that is going to be like the, the the mascot game for our podcast until it gets played, and that's LSU and UCLA, and. I I think people may misunderstand me when I say that I think LSU is going to win this game by more than two touchdowns, and that's me saying that UCLA is going to stink. I don't think UCLA is going to stink this year. I think UCLA will be the best UCLA team Chip Kelly has had in his tenure there. The question is, how good will that really be? And so they, they've yet to win a non-conference game. You know, we'll see if they can go to Hawaii and, and win uh, under Chip Kelly. They've yet to win a non-conference game. We'll see if they, they go to Hawaii and, and beat the Rainbows on the the first week zero. And and so that streak may be snapped by the time they play LSU. But this one's gonna be interesting because LSU is on this weird in this weird spot of was 2019 a fluke? They can prove it wasn't if these coordinator hires work out, if these players gel together and they are competitive in the SEC West. If they are not, and I would say losing to UCLA would be a pretty good, significant indicator that they aren't, then things get weird. And if you can't beat UCLA, you're going to have a hard time with Texas A&M, Alabama, maybe Auburn, Florida. You know that th- this is this is where it gets interesting for them. So, I, I not only do I think they're going to win like I think they have to win like that. Or it's just going to be, it's going to be tough. So you find which one, which side of this do you find more interesting? Which team? LSU is always more interesting. You know, UCLA situation is they could lose this game and they could lose this game by a lot of points, and it still doesn't necessarily change anything for them. I, you know, I do think they thought they would have made more progress under Chip Kelly, but they can still make progress under Chip Kelly this year. I mean, you look at last season, they were right there in every single game. I, I don't think it, you, you could see the improvement, especially when DTR was, was back and, and healthy. You could see the improvement. You, you could see what they were getting at and, and what they were trying to do. And so 
I think they will be better. And I just, will they be good enough to beat LSU? I don't think so. But I do think they'd be good enough to compete in the Pac-12 South and maybe beat somebody they're not supposed to and maybe go above 500 in Pac-12 play, which that represents progress to me. When did people stop giving a crap about Chip Kelly? Um, after he turned down the Florida job, take the UCLA job. Remember when he, not just when he had it rolling at Oregon, but do you remember the Chip Kelly craze that the Ari, internet he was? fundamentally changed the sport. No, I know, but do you remember the craze that everybody had when he was t- interviewing for NFL jobs? Like Absolutely. how every NFL vacancy was, we might be the person who gets chipped. And it's just like, I find it fascinating. And I don't know if it's just UCLA as a black hole of black hole of indifference, but we're talking about one of the most iconic coaches in recent memory that ran one of the funnest offense. Like you said, that fundamentally changed the sport and he's going into what year three now, or is this year four yeah. now? This is year four. And at a power five school in California, and maybe that's the, the the sentence there that reveals everything, but I am super curious about UCLA and wonder whether the entire magic that wants to find his name is just gone. Like, is it gone or does UCLA is, have a chance in anybody's mind of ever being a team that can win the PAC 12 and make the playoff? Well, is that just thing, a hype dream Har- now? Is, is he Harper Lee? That That's the question. Is Chip Kelly Harper Lee? Does he, does he only have one, one, phenomenal great book in him and that's it because that's what i'm asking you what do you think yeah she i i don't i I don't know i mean at this point i'm starting i'm starting to lean toward he's he's not got this other paradigm shifting thing and his day-to-day normal might not be good enough do you think it's because he's not unique anymore well yeah yeah he he did something that changed everything and then everybody else changed with it and caught up. So you can either be really good at the day-to-day stuff, just relentlessly competent, or you can have the one big idea that changes everything. But the thing is, if you have the one big idea that changes everything, you're probably not going to have another one. It's it That's really hard to do. What he did, and it wasn't just college football, he fundamentally changed the sport at every level. So most people can't do that. Most really good coaches will never do that. Is Harper Lee a genius? She wrote, she wrote one amazing book. I don't know if she's a genius or not, but she wrote, she wrote a book that pretty much everybody has read and loved. To read, to, to author, to kill a mockingbird has to be one of the most intense human accomplishments a human being could ever have. And the pressure and it, to do it again must be no, no, I know, unbelievable. I sometimes yeah. wonder, like, if you take that into the genius that it is to be a college football coach at a successful level and do what Chip Kelly did from an offensive standpoint, do you think that's one good idea in a one-off, or do you think that that's a genius that can do it again? Well, because the, the viewpoint again, of so it, I'm starting to wonder. Yeah, the viewpoint of it is that he has all the tools that he needs at UCLA to do it again. And he made a lot of hay recruiting Southern California when he was at Oregon 
And now he's at a place that has closer access to them and he's not recruiting at the same level. And it's just like the luster of Chip Kelly's name wore off because he wasn't successful in the NFL. And it's like, I was just kind of baffled that when he returned to college, that he didn't re-step into that cachet that he had, you know? And I think well, that's he, also he part had of the, the problem. To, he had the chance to, and he said, I don't want that smoke. He had the chance to go to an SEC program that expects you to compete for national titles. And he said, no, thank you. I don't, I would not like to do that. And I don't blame him because I don't think his personality fits that that area and that type of recruiting. But also UCLA so, seems to me a much better fit for what he did before to do it again. Like doing what he did at Oregon, what doesn't it doesn't equate to me at Florida. It doesn't it does, it's not the same thing. I feel like when I he took the UCLA it, it, job, but, I instantly believe that you It's happened at Florida. Steve Spurrier did it at Florida. No, I know, but it's completely different now. I mean, it's not the same thing. I mean, you you know that. And well, doing no, it at it's, UCLA it's cha- it's is the, more it's similar. It's changing offense in a, in a whole league that's doing everything differently. And you're like, no, nah, I'm going to do it it's this like, way. And like Mike and Leach then, is trying to do that now? No, Mike Leach did that in the Big 12. He already did it. It happened. Now I know, but Mike Leach took an SEC job, but I guess it's not one that co- expects to compete for national championships. No, and, and the thing about that is everybody, there's so much tape on the air raid now. It's not like that's new and different. Every everybody's seen it, whether they've played against it or not. They can call a buddy who's played against it. Like what Chip Kelly was doing at Oregon, everybody's like, "Holy crap! How do we deal with this? I've never seen anything like this before." I feel like Chip Kelly and his rebuild attempt at UCLA has been hindered by the fact that there's no respect on his name. I don't think that's it. I, I think people still respect him. I mean. How can you not look at what he did at Oregon? Or how can you look at what he did at Oregon and not respect Why does it? UCLA's build seem hopeless? Because the, the big idea is not there. Yeah. I mean, I guess the idea for UCLA is that you're going to hire a coach that knows how to win at a high level um, with players that are under-recruited or, or fit his system perfectly. But if the idea is not there and he's not recruiting at a high level, then what makes you think that this is going to be a big turnaround year for UCLA? It's kind of like, to me, when I look at this game, it's like if LSU doesn't win comfortably in a five-point spread game, then LSU is the one with the problem, and UCLA is going to go on to be kind of okay this year and win six, seven, eight games. It's like that's not interesting to me at UCLA. Like The interesting thing when UCLA hired Chip Kelly was, is UCLA going to be a badass football program with awesome uniforms and be one of the teams that saves the Pac-12 from its demise? And it's like now this conversation is so boring to me, like about – not just this, not this conversation, but the conversation surrounding UCLA is boring to me. And it's like, can we get some of that juice back? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of that would come with elite recruits, which the part people forget is that Jim Mora got really good players at UCLA. You know, they they had first rounders. They, 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 well, they had a first round guy in this past draft. He just finished his career at Miami because he, he got hurt at UCLA. But they had big name recruits that that signed with them under Jim Mora and had some success with that. But I I would argue you need someone who can do more of that than someone who can just kind of slide the, these, you know, under the radar. Like you're in freaking Beverly Hills. You don't have to do to get Corey Foreman. I'm sorry, be I'm beating cool. the UCLA drum here, but like it's just be like cool? what is that? I, I don't know. Clay Helton's not cool. that cool I thought, either I right now. He was so cool. Yeah. 
Clay Helton's not that cool Chip Kelly is the epitome of cool. (laughs) Chip Kelly is one of four coaches in the history of modern-day football that's transformed a program into not cool into cool. Without Chip Kelly, Mario Cristobal isn't putting together top 10 classes. He's just not. And it's just like, oh, my God. It's just like, what can we do? I just want UCLA to be good. Well, beating LSU would be a start. (laughs) UCLA is my West Coast, Texas, Andy. It, but it's not the same because they have not brought in that level of talent. They they brought no, in I know. you know they, they I know. occasionally bring in somebody like that, but they don't they don't do it consistently. I mean they, right, they let's, have let's, the juice to be the second best team in the Big Twelve, but or the the Pac twelve. But you know right. for the sake of our listeners, we can go on to the next game. No, we're, we're yeah, we're, and, and your head <laughs> might explode. Let's be honest. We'll be right back after these words. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This next one's interesting. I, I am really glad the Big Ten has now fully embraced early season conference games. They've actually got a week zero game. They've got Nebraska-Illinois. But we're going to start in week one. Penn State at Wisconsin. Now, Phil Steele, our friend, everybody's pal, has Penn State as his most improved team this year. And and if you look at last year, I mean, it was anomaly after anomaly. It was as as miserable a year as you're going to get. And they did get better as the season went on. So that makes sense as to why you'd think they'd be better. But the thing is, to be where they want to be, which is competing for Big Ten titles, they need to be competitive with Ohio State, obviously. But they also need to be competitive with a team like Wisconsin, which has been consistently probably the second best program in the Big Ten in the last, you know, other than, well, Penn State and Wisconsin have been duking out for second best program in the Big Ten over the last five years. The only reason why Wisconsin has the uh, claim of that is because they don't play in the East. I think Wisconsin has benefited greatly because they don't play in the East. But I think both of these programs are kind of in similar places right now. You have a Penn State team that's trying to recover from one of the worst um, seasons they could have even imagined, even a psycho year that it was last year. And Wisconsin had a 
pretty weak start to the Graham Mertz era. And I think they had some pretty bad COVID issues at one point, but you also thought when Graham Mertz signed with Wisconsin, that that was the type of quarterback that that program had been missing to take him to the next level. And Wisconsin signed their first top 25 class last year in modern in, in the history of their program. So, you know, I know that Wisconsin is what it is. It's a 10 win team annually that feels like it has its uh, trip stamped to Indianapolis every year. I know Northwestern's had something to say about that. Iowa's popped up a few times, but Wisconsin is the king of the West. And you have two teams that are trying really, really hard to get off after a to a great start after a terrible, terrible COVID year. And the spread is close. Um, the game is in Wisconsin. It's in week one. All the things that you'd want out of this game um, are there. And I think that both sides are equally interesting in this one, Andy. So let me give you the key number. The, the, I didn't realize it was this bad. 3.93. 3.93. That is Wisconsin's per carry average in 2020. That is insane. That is that is not Wisconsin. That that's just they don't do that. They they're better than that. And so uh, you know, it 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 has to get better. It it cannot possibly get worse than 83rd in the country in rushing average per attempt. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see, too, if Wisconsin can stay within itself and and not change who they are because they have a hotshot quarterback. And maybe they need to to compete at the highest level, but Wisconsin gets to Indianapolis by running the ball down their opponent's throat, not by throwing all over them. Yeah, and and so, okay, if Wisconsin wins this game, I I think a close game is probably okay with either fan base, either direction. It's like, all right, these are good teams. It's close. If if one team blows the other out, it's panic button time on on either on, on the losing campus. I I think whoever does that freaks out if they if they lose big in this game. Which team do you think has more at stake here? I think Penn State. I think because Penn State needs to show that they've turned the corner after last season, and it did seem like things were getting better at the end. And I mean, the you go from like the. Just the the way things started with Journey Brown having to medically retire and then Noah Kane in the first quarter of the first game out Mm -hmm. for the season. Like, that's like you you have a great running back room that all of a sudden is nothing in a week. Like, that that just doesn't happen most of the time. So I think it hurt on the the show with Audrey, too, that they sent their players home and then the Big Ten resumed their season and they missed out on a ton of Penn State. I think that you can say had an anomaly of a year and I don't know if the standard is beating Wisconsin on the road in the opener, but it is right. I mean, that that's what they expect. It is. And, and so, and for Wisconsin, it's, you've got this hotshot quarterback. He's the highest rated quarterback you ever signed. Uh, You, you had a, a pretty adequate starter in Jack Cohn, who you've now chased to Notre Dame because the, the higher rated guy is, is now in his place. And now they've got to prove they can win with that guy. I think this is one of the best games in the preseason. I'm so, I, I, I'm very excited about Even this. Even though it's and, a conference game. But in, yeah, in the early season. I, I'm, yeah. Yep. I'm very excited about this one. Now let's go to one that, that people who are diehard die psychotic college football fans, either fans or just degenerate gamblers, this is one that everybody's been on 
since the schedule came out, but this is when I think the casual fan, if what we think is going to happen happens, the casual fan is going to go, what the hell just happened? And that is Louisiana at Texas. Now, Billy Napier's team was excellent last year. The only game they lost was, was to Coastal Carolina in a just fantastic weeknight game in, in Lafayette. This team went and thumped Iowa State. Iowa State, which would go on to win the Fiesta Bowl, by the way, thumped Iowa State at home in, in the season opener. This is a team that brings almost everybody back. I think they've got 21 starters back, if I'm not mistaken. And they're going to play a team with a first-year coach that, while talented, tends to not play well against veteran teams with great chemistry that are well-coached. We're talking about Texas again. Let's go. <laughs> um <laughs> Do I think it. that it's, it's just me why, Tell me why Texas wins by three touchdowns. Texas I know by you want 70. To. No, I don't. <laughs> I know I don't, you want I don't, to. I don't, know. I, I don't know that I do want to. Um, Louisiana's really, really good. They're I know. They're a good football will team. The, will the Texas so, fans go nuts if the Raging Cajuns win this game? Because anybody who watched these two teams last year ex- would expect Louisiana to win the game. But will Texas fans go berserk if they do? Yeah, of course they will. Of course they will. I think the expectation is at Texas, we have enough talent to compete with anybody in the country, and we finally have an offensive genius. Not that Tom Herman wasn't when he was hired, but we have an offensive genius that's going to make our program look the part. And I think if Texas wins by five, they're going to freak out. Yeah, I hope that they're they're seasoned enough as college football fans to understand that this would be a very, very good team. Uh, that they're they're eking out in a in a it's a tough opener for Texas. I mean, it's a really hard opener. If Texas um, wins this game, I'm going to be really impressed. Really, they're ten impressed. point favorites. That's insane. <laughs> I wouldn't touch that. Ten points is insane. Texas winning this game. By Texas 10 points? could win like twenty eight to to seventeen or something. They they could. They could also lose twenty eight to seventeen. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know that I would ever lay the points on a first uh, year coach who has a lot to work on. Um, but I think Texas fans have to understand that it's going to be a process and you're not going to see the Vince Young team out there in week one. Like, you, you know, it's going to be something that they're going to have to, you know, work towards and, and morph into, you know. And, you know, I expect fully that Texas is going to win the football game, but I don't think it's going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think that any of their fans should expect a blowout. Because it's not they're if not Texas playing a team that's by one. I'll be impressed. I anticipate that they'll win the game. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I this I saw that team go into go into Ames, and and that was a good veteran team that wound up winning a lot of games. Yeah, no, it happened already last year. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and that was a team that. Almost won the Big 12. So, you know, I know, but where would you put Louisiana uh, in the Big 12? Would you say that they're a middle tier Big 12 team right now, the way they're built? I would say, yeah, I, I would, I wouldn't say middle tier. I'd say, I'd say above average, not really, not, not a win the conference or, or play for the conference title, but like the third or fourth kind of team. Yeah, so, if you put them in that, if you put them in that regard, that's the exact team that Texas hasn't been able to beat. 
So I know, you know, yeah. So that's uh, you know, I think it's a very interesting opener for them. But I think the idea, Ari, Ari just, this is in, in basketball terms, this is the mid major that starts five seniors that have played together since they were freshmen. That's right. who you're dealing with. I know. Against a team that is, it's at the mid. Yeah, it's the mid major with five starters returning that have played against, together against for a team four with years, two freshman lottery Kentucky, picks. Yeah, against yeah. Kentucky uh, in the first game of the season. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think that's a good a good way to look at it. Um, yeah, I wouldn't touch that game with a ten foot pole, but my anticipation is that Texas will win the game, and if they do, it should be a nice foundational win. But you know, the anticipation always was that Iowa State was going to win that game too, and seasoned college football fans who listen to the show uh, and are obsessed with football the way that we are understand the context of this game. And if you, if, if Louisiana wins, it's not Appalachian state versus Michigan. This is a, no, a really good football team. All right, let's, let's go to Sunday of week one. I love Sunday. Notre Dame at Florida state. I put this game on here, Ari. I, I would assume Notre Dame wins this game. But I don't know because Florida State is essentially a completely different team than it was last year. This is this is the the test of the transfer portal and the new transfer rules right here. Like this is how much can you change a team overnight using the transfer portal? And we're going to find out with Florida State this year. Yeah, I'm very curious to see if Florida State's going to even have a pulse. You know, and I guess they had a pulse last year. That might not be fair. But they beat North Carolina, but that was they, pretty much it. Yeah. And who did they lose to last year in, in the beginning of the year? Well, they got they, they, got they lost a game. By Miami. They lost they lost to Georgia Tech in the season opener. Georgia Tech that in was, the season opener. Yeah. That's correct. And that was kind of just like, oh no. Um, but you know, I think I anticipate that Notre Dame is going to take a step back this year. I think it's something they're gonna be a very good football team, but I don't know they're gonna be a playoff team this year. Um and Florida State the anticipation is that they'll take a step forward. And I think that's a 10-point spread also. And if I were to bet on this game, I would probably take the points. Um, and I think the idea is, is Florida State going to turn a corner? Because they've turned a corner in the recruiting realm. I mean, they're recruiting better than you know they have in the last five or six years in the 2022 class, but you want to see that on the field too to have some faith in the head coach. Yeah. So you know, I know that Notre Dame is is probably the better football team, and they're probably going to win this game on the road. Uh, but I think this will be a very interesting thing just to see the way that Florida State looks early, and it's whether or not it's going to be an entertaining team, a team that's talented enough. You know, even though I have questions about their team talent, uh, to you know, be dangerous in the ACC. You know, I don't anticipate they're going to win the ACC by any stretch of the imagination, but is this a team that can beat North Carolina again? Is this a team that can play with Florida? Is this a team that, you know, if they're matched up with Clemson, won't get blown out 72 to 10? You know, it's just kind of, we're waiting to see if Florida State will be the Florida State that we have remembered so fondly. And you were there for the yeah, spring game. You saw the talent up close. I mean, is this a team that's built that can win? It's not a team that's going to compete for titles. No, but I don't know what it's. I I don't know what happens at quarterback because there was that moment where you're standing behind Mackenzie Milton when he throws just a perfect pass, and you're like, "Oh, that's that's the guy from 2017 and 2018." What Can percentage that of that guy, guy is going to be that guy? Is he going to don't be know? Sure? No idea. That's the question because yes. we, we don't even know if he's going to win the job. Jordan Travis may win the job. I know, but if he wins, yeah, it's really hard to view a team when you don't know who their quarterback's going to be. Um, but Milton is one of the things that's most I'm most excited to watch unfold because it that, was such a gut wrenching thing that happened to him. The fact that he's even there and if he can rip the because oh. I saw some of those passes in the spring game, I was like, whoa, oh. 
You know, if yeah. they get, if they get a quarterback that can get can can make you say whoa a few times, you know, you might put yourself in a position where you you start believing in them a little bit. And if he's their quarterback in week one and they start playing, you know, really really well against Notre Dame, you might think, hey, this is the the hand coming out from the grave, you know, the Florida State yep. hand saying, hey, you know, we're we're not gone. And, you know, that's kind of what you're expecting under or under Mike Norvell. And it might be a year or two away, but, you know, Notre Dame is vulnerable, in my opinion. And I think they're vulnerable against Cincinnati, too. And if they're vulnerable, then this is exactly the type of game where Florida State can come out and say, hey, don't forget about us. Even if it yeah, is and every, everybody's watching, the whole country's yeah, watching. Yeah. But, but more than anything else, I just want to see – because if, if Florida State can play well and be competitive against a team like Notre Dame, it will signal to to all these coaches, hey, if things aren't working, I can I can flip my roster now. I can make my team look completely different in a year. Because this is this is a night and day difference than from last year's roster. Let's let's move on to week two. And I want to start with the probably the most anticipated, other than Clemson. And Georgia, which we've talked about quite a bit, and and obviously we've both said we don't think either result either way is going to change our opinions much about either team unless unless it's a blowout. But this is I mean, a if game Clemson that I blows like, out Georgia before you transition. Oh yeah, I might I might be like, what the hell's going on in Athens? You might bail on them. I mean, if they get blown I just feel out, like they got so they got so many games to make it up afterward, though. No, I know. I mean, but. We're all kind of waiting for. We've been waiting for Georgia's arrival um, as a legitimate power in the sport, and I know that they were one overtime away from winning a national championship. But to me, that national championship loss was supposed to signify the arrival of a dominant force, and they have been anything but that in the time since. And they have a chance with a quarterback that um, should be very, very good this year, and a team that's as talented as anybody in college football to be the Alabama that people think that they should be. And losing to Clemson by a lot would be like very big turnoff it would just be like there's something wrong it might make me feel like there's something wrong there alabama lost by clemson to a lot and managed to come back it it happens no i know i mean clemson's really really good but it's just like when (laughs) how long do you go before you start wondering if kirby can do it on the field i if they don't wind up close to the playoff or in the playoff this year there will be that question that question will be very loud by the end of the season. If Teams have a hard time getting into the playoff when they're blown out. They do. As Nick Saban once told Scott Van Pelt, if I had lost by five touchdowns, I wouldn't even be here today. <laughs> you wouldn't be talking to me. <laughs> so, all right. Let, let, but you mentioned the established power and the program trying to become one of those. Well, we've got a game between those in week two. We've got Oregon at Ohio State. And depending on who Oregon starts at quarterback, and we, we don't know if it's going to be Ty Thompson or, or Anthony Brown. If it's if it's Anthony Brown, he's played some. If it's Ty Thompson, you could see a quarterback matchup in this game between two starting quarterbacks who entered the season with zero collegiate passes. Sign me up for that. <laughs> Which, I, I that adds mystery to it. Look, Ohio State has the better roster. Ohio State has has more good players. Oregon has some really good ones, but Ohio State has across-the-board great players. So the thing that can make it a game is if Oregon has a more special quarterback, and we'll just have to see. We don't have any idea, and I think that's what makes this fun. I'm rooting for Ty Thompson to win the job. And uh, if you want to hear something funny... uh, both of these quarterbacks were ranked very similarly. Uh, C.J. Stroud, Stroud, 
you know, who I anticipate is going to win the job in Texas was the number 42 overall player out of Rancho Cucamonga in 2020. And Ty Thompson, a year younger in 2021, was number 39. And they're both, you know, very big guys that have big arms and are super talented. And it would be very, very fun to see those two guys face off um, against each other because I believe that in two years from now that those might be the two faces of college football or two of the 10 faces of college football. And, you know, I, I don't know if I were a coach how I would handle this, but at a certain point you want to turn the page and get your uh, most talented players on the field as soon as possible and just get that clock rolling on a, on a talented roster to get them developed and seasoned. I don't know if that's the best thing to do when you're playing Ohio State on the road, uh, but the Pac-12 has needed a signature win, and I don't know when the last one was. Like, what's the this most the significant it. Pac-12 victory in non-conference play that you can go back to and say, hey, oh my gosh, the Pac-12 is going to be really, really good this year because this team is really, really good. If Oregon somehow goes to Columbus and beats Ohio State, then all of a sudden that entire West Coast sect of football is interesting moving forward. It, it would be like when Oklahoma went into Columbus and beat Ohio State and, and you're like, okay, Baker Mayfield is yeah, right. is legit, like could win the Heisman. Could, Absolutely. Is, yeah. I, so that's that's what it would take. And we don't know what Ohio State is other than we know they will be consistently good at every position, but we don't know what the quarterback is. And you know, Justin Fields set a very high bar. So He did. We, that bar's we, not we'll going to be touched, that. by the way. <laughs> it's whether or not Ohio State can get 70% of Justin Fields and still be a national championship contender. Which, you know, it, it may it may be able to do that, given especially given the talent at receiver. I mean, they they've got a lot back. Yeah, if you look if you look at what like what do you think reasonable expectations are for Oregon in this game? Do you think Oregon fans go into this game saying, I think we should win this football game, or are they just hoping for a close game? I think they're hoping for a close game, but in the back of their mind, they're saying, if we get great quarterback play, we might be able to win this game. And if we win this game, we can make the playoff. Because that, you know, if they win that game, it gives them the mulligan in Pac-12 play. It gives them that loss they can, they can have, and everybody just writes it off and doesn't worry about it, which Oregon's had those. I mean, Oregon had, they lost to Oregon State last year. Right. Let's not forget that. You know, they lost to Arizona State the year before in a game they shouldn't have come close to losing so and at a certain point mario cristobal has to get wins on the field yes yeah you you got it you got to prove that you can play with these guys and the thing is oregon's not really had a chance to play with these guys they've right. made the playoff so they they have not had the opportunity to see this level of talent yet and and so now now's their chance and we'll see what they can do i i'm really excited to see it because I feel like if Oregon goes to Columbus and they lose by a lot, you just almost shut the book on the Pac-12 again for another year. It, it would it would take USC beating Notre Dame and and you know some of these other games. Well, we'll talk about Washington, Michigan in a second. I don't know that Washington, Michigan means much unless Michigan winds up being good. But that why don't would we just go into that one now? Okay, let's talk about that one because that's one. I don't feel like we really got a sense of of what the Huskies look like under Jimmy Lake last year because of of all the COVID issues and you know the just crazy shortened season in the Pac-12. So I I don't know what to expect from Washington really at all 
Do you know what to expect from Michigan at all? No, definitely not. I mean, <laughs> that's that, what's they fun. are a complete mystery too. So, what the game that I'm most excited to watch in the non-conference is Georgia Clemson. I think everybody can universally agree on that. But this is a very close second because I like watching games where I sit down in front of the TV and I have no idea what I'm about to witness. And and that's what this is. You you really don't. They, whatever happens will be a surprise. And and I I don't know what to expect. Uh, like Phil Steele, I mentioned him before with Penn State. He's high on Washington this year, and I, I can see that. But. Washington beating Michigan in this situation wouldn't be an upset. Do you you have the spread in front of you? I'm assuming they've made Michigan like a slight favorite. Uh, why don't you give me go vamp for a second? I'll pull the spread up. <laughs> okay. Well, I just don't know. I don't know what Michigan looks like with the the massive overhaul of of the staff. We we think we look, know what the offense looks like because because Josh Gaddis is still there, but defensively they'll they'll be different and. We think Caden McNamara winds up starting for them, but we don't absolutely know that. Why? And, <laughs> and, and Ari doesn't understand why they don't just go to the freshman. <laughs> just go to the, the five-star, let him ride, man. I, I, I don't know. Or, if I or Michigan, Alan, Alan Bowman coming in from Texas Tech if he's, if he's healthy. Yeah, I, I would Otherwise, try to my best to, to put the best players on the field, and even if they're not 100% ready, you live and die with that. And if you're Harbaugh, it kind of gives you a safety shield from, from criticism. Um, I think it's the perfect play. Um, I'm still trying to find the spread here. Uh, but I, I do think that uh, this should be a very good game either way. And I think we're going to find out a lot about these two teams either way. And um, okay. I'm seeing seven here, but I think that's wrong. Michigan minus seven. No, no, uh, Washington minus seven, but I Washington think that might have been seven. like okay. a weird. I think that might have been a weird middle of the summer spread. Gotcha. Well, you know, I can I can live with that. That actually feels like a more normal. Okay, I'm seeing I'm seeing one book with uh, with Michigan minus two and a half. Okay, yeah, that so was this a is, weird. This line. is gonna be all over the map. Yeah, it's okay, gonna be all yeah. over the map. <laughs> um, I don't know that I would lay a single point if I were betting this game. Uh, either way, so. In my opinion, I think that that's kind of a no-touch. I don't have any idea what to expect, but I feel like it's between two programs that are dying for a significant program-defining win. And Michigan's had a few, I think. Um, but if Michigan goes and beats Washington early in the season, I think that you can say, hey, hold hold the, the Harbaugh criticism, especially if their freshman, uh, J.J. McCarthy, is playing at quarterback. I don't know that that's what people are expecting, but that's what I would do. I think it's perfect. I think it's brilliant. So, I don't know what happens here. I, I don't know. I do think if Washington goes in and steamrolls them, the this is it for Jim Harbaugh gets pretty loud. And, and you and I have talked about where, where the line of demarcation might be on this season. It may be the Wisconsin game. But if Washington crushes them, I think probably all hope for anything changing goes away. Okay, I'm looking at spreads here now. Okay. You've got it from Michigan plus one to uh, Michigan minus one. So it's kind of just either way, everybody views this as a, okay. it's a coin. It's a coin flip. Yeah, because nobody knows anything. And, and at least Vegas is admitting they don't know anything with this one. Yeah. And they just want everybody to, to let it fly. But, you know, I think this will be very, very interesting. And I think that Michigan has higher stakes than Washington. 
I think you're right. Because yeah, Washington's we, in, in year two of a new coach, and, and Michigan's yeah. in year 100 with a coach. They're not sure they I, even I, want to be the coach. I would argue this is really year one for Jimmy Lake. I, the, yeah. Last year wasn't even a year. They, they didn't get a chance to show what they could do. So I, I think you're right about that. Let's stay, stay with the Pac-12 here. Stanford at USC. So Stanford loses the first two games last year, wins the last four. David Shaw had basically told his good players, like, go get ready for the draft. Like he told Walker Little, go get ready for the draft. You don't, we don't know what's going to happen here. I got a feeling Stanford's going to be better this year than they were last year, and, and maybe they were the year before that. Now, Davis Mills is gone, but and we never really got a chance to see Davis Mills at, at full strength anyway. But what if they go to USC and beat them? I mean, the, the fan base is already checked out on Clay Helton as it is. It, are we in out, outright mutiny mode at that point? Yeah, this isn't very interesting. I don't know. I'm just not that interested in how good Stanford is going to be uh, this year. And they play Kansas but you're, State. In I'm week interested one. In if they beat. I'm interested if they beat USC. That's what I'm interested. Yeah, in. yeah. USC is. Clay Helton is going to be on the hot seat at some point this year. Like this is a perpetuating hot seat until they're awesome. So, yeah, of course. Um, this is a huge game for USC because it's early on in the season, and you have a, a conference game. Uh, right off the bat, and I know they open up with you know San Jose State, but that was a pretty good team last year too. So yeah, you know, to me, it's kind of like, what do you? Last year, you basically, and I think I'm going to use this word, you ridiculed me uh, for okay. thinking that USC before they lost should be in the playoff discussion. Yes, but what is it going to take? Not very good for you to see USC is turning a corner because these one point wins over Arizona. These close games mm-hmm. against Oregon State, they're not going to do it. What you want to see is them to kick the crap out of these teams. Yes, good play at the line of scrimmage where they dominate teams with inferior talent. That's what I want to see from USC, and I don't think we're going to see it. Yeah, I mean, there's been no indication that that is around the corner. And when you look at their schedule, San Jose State, Stanford, at Washington State, Oregon State, at Colorado, their first five games, they should be 5-0. and going into a game against Utah and they could be six and zero, or maybe should be six and zero, because that Utah game is at home going to Notre Dame, October 23rd. And I could make a case where they could have two losses at that point, but if they're six and zero, and their average margin of win, uh, victory is six and six and a half, you're going to just do the same thing you did last year. They suck. Yeah. You know, it's like they have yeah, to it's gonna, be it's gonna sexy catch up to them against Notre Dame. There's yeah. a certain you're expectation exactly. that USC has to be sexy. Well, I don't think it's a matter of they have to be sexy. I think it's a matter of if you're squeaking out those wins, then when you do have to play Notre Dame or when you do see Oregon in a, in a Pac-12 championship game, you're not going to have a chance. USC schedule, looking at it, they could go undefeated. They could. They could also go 7-5. and five. If they go 7-5, and five, then they just suck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no fire Clay that's Helton. not even a, the, yeah the the middle the middle is more interesting in terms of Clay Helton. You know, if you're nine and three, what happens? You can you can go down their schedule though, and you don't see a game that is a 100 percent loss before they play it. Absolutely not. Every one of these games they can win. Every it's single a manageable one. game every single week. So to me, uh, ten and two. 
would be pretty good. What does Clay Helton have to do to save his job? I don't know if it's going to be determined against Stanford. I, I guess what you're saying is if they lose to Stanford or play a close game against Stanford, and it's like, oh, oh boy, here we go again situation, we're going to know on September 11th when they play at 930 on Fox with everybody watching. But I'm just trying to figure out exactly what – it's like the hot seat thing is just kind of annoying. Just do it or don't do it, you know, and they haven't you're, done it you're yet. You're just mad because you have to record a podcast with me after that one ends. We have to stay and watch the whole thing before yeah, we, man. Before we I start love, recording the podcast. I love waiting up with you. I love waiting up with you. <laughs> you uh, act that, like I'm not going to be watching really it anyway. Uh, so um, – to me, I don't that's know. Am I the only game on? That's Pac-12 after dark, homie. I misspoke. I misspoke, uh, bud, and I got to apologize. UCLA is not my Texas of the West. USC, USC is, is 100% my Texas of the West. Well, USC and Texas are basically the same program. There's been one coach in the last 40 years who's been successful there, and everybody's tried to, to recreate that and not managed to be able to do it. All while having every single possible resource um, uh, made available, Correct. imaginable to that program. I still think that Texas has a higher ceiling than USC. Um, but both teams are in a very talent-rich area. Both teams are the most recognizable name. I guess Texas is kind of a 50-50 coin flip with the ascension of Texas A&M. And the fact that Texas A&M has become a very good football program has been kind of tough uh, for Texas. But they both live in the state uh, that is basically supporting the entire conference and they both have been successful in the past. And when were they, I mean, they played in the national championship game when both were at their peak, like that was peak, both of their teams. And I just like, I don't know if it's just because that was my childhood or because I was like 19 or 18 when that was happening. Oh yeah. And we always like, romanticize. I don't know what happened when we were 18 or 19. Can't imagine so, why. Yeah, uh, so maybe that's just the thing that's stuck with me. But when you look at things from a recruiting standpoint, I just view them both as teams that have every possible ladder to success if they just do it the right way. And I don't know that Clay Helton has proven that he can do that. Even though the recruiting has taken a tremendous turn for the for the better, um, I haven't seen a single thing on USC's schedule the last few years in terms of on the field that would make me think hold up wait a minute yeah and that and that's the problem we'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors uh, i wanted to get into this with you this is a question i got for my dear andy column but this is it was based on this person listening to us talk about this stuff and so i'll read you the question and you've already read my answer to this, so we, mm -hmm. we, we can just start talking about it. But it's, it's, Dear Andy, given the top-heavy talent distribution that is always discussed on the podcast, I thought it would be interesting to ask who you and Ari Wasserman would take in an actual, quote-unquote, all-star game of sorts. The rules of the game would be that you get to choose the players and coaches from the top four teams that you decide on. Uh, example, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and Clemson. The other person would have the choice of players and coaches from all other teams. Obviously, the talent could or could not be comparable or equal, depending on your view, but maybe the coaching would be the difference. For example, Saban is head coach, Kirby's defensive coordinator, Ryan Day's offensive coordinator, et cetera. Who would you choose? What would the line be? Is that different now from 5, 10, or 20 years ago? And obviously, if you wanted to choose a different four teams, that's fine. But I thought it was an interesting thought exercise slash discussion to seeing how far as, as the four-team playoff has highlighted the top-level talent distribution even more than before, which I agree with. And, oh, by the way, this is uh, from at Azul18 on Twitter. Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and Clemson just happen to be the top four teams in the 
talent composite in 2020. So, so that's the best we'll teams use. in the sport were the top four teams in the recruiting rankings. It's amazing how that works. It's, so, it's insanity. Okay. So to do this, I, I was thinking about using current rosters, but that, were, that will require quite a bit of projection on my part with, with younger players at, at, Clemson and Alabama and all those, you know, I could, I could pick older players from all of the other ones who've established themselves and, and make it pretty easy, but there's a lot of, but before you, before you reveal before. your team, we didn't mm-hmm. both pick teams. Andy just did it because I think yep. it would just, we'd get bogged down with too many names and it'd be confusing if we both listed teams, but I wanted to ask you, and I think it's important to discuss when you initially read this question, mm-hmm. who did you think would have a better team? Like what was your, before you did the exercise, what were you anticipating finding? The the others, the field, just because of sheer numbers. The same reason more three stars get drafted than five stars, because there's so many more of them. And then like, what did you so find? There's so many more chances. Yeah, you're right. I, so. I still feel that way. I feel like this is this is a modified, could Alabama beat the Jets question. But there's a, there's a little bit of a difference. Well, I, okay. Well, I'll, we can talk about that. Because yeah. the, reason, the reason the Jets would always beat Alabama is, is there are three or four guys in Alabama who aren't going to be NFL players, and the Jets would just pick on them mercilessly, and the Jets would win by four touchdowns. In this one, there are no weak spots on Team Superpower. They're all NFL players. But the thing is, because I have so much more to pick from with Team Field, they're also all NFL players, but probably better NFL players. I think... If you take the best players, and how many years did you go back when you did this? I, I did the last four drafts. So all of these guys, except the guys just drafted, have played some in the NFL. So it's the, the 2018 through 2021 drafts. When I first heard the question, I thought the field would be better because there's just more options, like you said. Yeah. And everything you said but about the three-star the, prospects. The spread can, is a lot closer than I, I thought I think the it would spread be. is a pick. The, and, and the reason for that is... Team Superpower's defensive line is unbelievable. And if you have a good D-line, you have a chance. Team Superpower's offensive line is pretty good, but I got I got guys playing out of position to get the best five athletes on the field, which I didn't have to do with Team Field. Okay, run down your your list. Okay, so let's 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 do Team Superpower. This is Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State. The from the last four drafts. Your quarterback is Trevor Lawrence. I started Najee Harris and Travis Etienne at running backs. You can argue this if you want. You want to you want to put Nick Chubb in there. You want to put J.K. Dobbins in there. Fine. Go ahead. They're all good. I'll take any of them. Uh, wide receiver, I had Devontae Smith and Calvin Ridley started. Again, you want to put Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, uh, you know, uh, T. Higgins. You want to put any of those guys in there, feel free. Listen, the fact that you have guys on the bench is just an illustration of how absurd this is. It's crazy, and and then and, and, it, and it it really drives home the point of how lopsided the talent distribution in college football is. So, offensive tackle Andrew Thomas. Uh, I had to move Isaiah Wynn to guard. I got Landon Dickerson, Landon Dickerson at center, and that's it's really only because Billy Price hasn't really established himself as a starter in the NFL. Uh, and he was a first. But these are the college. Ver- we're 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 doing this based on the college versions of these players. Yeah, kind of, but also what they wound up being. I mean. It, it's, it's a game. If they played now, what would happen? Um, Jonah Williams, I got at one guard. I, I moved him uh, to get the best five on the field. And then Jedrick Wills from Alabama is, is my other tackle. Irv Smith is my starting tight end. The defense, the D-line is, is disgusting. Chase Young 
and Nick Bosa are your defensive ends. Quinnen Williams and Christian Wilkins are your D tackles. Oh, by the way, Deron Payne just rotate in on one of those spots. And and uh, and Dexter Lawrence can rotate in on one of those spots. Cleveland Furl can rotate in at defensive end. I, it, it is it is a murderer's row. It's crazy. So that that one's unbelievable. Uh, I ran a nickel just because there's so many good DBs as well. Um, but I had Isaiah Simmons and Roquan Smith as my linebackers. And then in the secondary, I had Jeff Okuda, Patrick Sertan, Minka Fitzpatrick, Xavier McKinney, and Denzel Ward. But I, there were a bunch of other guys I could have chosen as well. I don't care what the other team is. You, What, what can you even say against that? Um, the other team's really freaking good, Ari. No, I no, I know, but that team. Yeah, go ahead. Just go with the other team, and then we'll talk. Okay. About it. Oh, by well, let's uh, coaching staff. By the way, coaching staff uh, yeah. of Team Superpower: head coach Nick Saban, offensive coordinator Ryan Day, defensive coordinator Kirby Smart, quarterbacks coach Brandon Streeter, offensive line coach Doug Marone, running backs coach Tony Elliott, receivers coach slash recruiting coordinator Dabo Sweeney. Defensive line coach Larry Johnson, linebackers coach Brent Venable, secondary coach Kerry Coombs, and special teams, I got Mickey Kahn from Clemson. Okay, let's move on to team field. So, yes, that team I just mentioned is really good. That's a really good team. Yeah, this and, and also with the, team, with the team field, too, you also have to take into account that you're picking off of really, really good rosters. Like, you have Oklahoma available to yes. you. You have Florida available to you. You have Notre, Oklahoma, Dame. Um, Notre Dame, Oregon. And if you take the best players off of the second tier teams, there is a lot to choose from. But, you know, I, so I, I feel like I, I feel like if we added Oklahoma and Notre Dame to this, it would be completely even. Like if we added an Oklahoma, Notre Dame to team superpower, which is terrible for the sport that, that those six teams equal the other hundred twenty four. Oh, LSU is on your list. That's true. That, okay, if you put yeah. LSU, Oklahoma, and Notre Dame in Oregon, it, you wouldn't even over. have a game. It, yeah, it'd be over. All right. So here, here's our here's our quarterback dilemma already on on team field. Our two potential starters are Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. If we'd like to go into and figure out who the backup is, it's Baker Mayfield, Justin Herbert. Kyler Murray or Joe Burrow. <laughs> so I think Lamar Jackson is the choice there. I think you're probably right. And, and I think you can do, but, but I would do some crazy stuff where I either had Lamar and Josh Allen or Lamar and Kyler playing together at the same time. Oh, so and now we're really doing a, we're doing a quarterback by committee type thing. No, on and the Lamar field at the same time. And a Lamar Jackson. I, I will say this right now. I think Lamar Jackson is the best college football player of the last decade. He he was amazing. He he was when and when you look at the talent around him and what happened to Louisville afterward, I think it tells you exactly how good he was. Also, you the know? most exciting, which kind of gives him the heads up too. Can you imagine if he played with the talent that that they had at Alabama or at Clemson or you know or, or you could put him on you could put him on a second tier team and they would like I, well I don't know because Kyler Murray was was essentially as exciting and, and dynamic as as Lamar and they still couldn't beat Alabama. So you still have to have a defense, but all right. Yeah. Here, here's the, here's the rest of team field. You're starting running backs are Saquon Barkley and Jonathan Taylor. You're starting wide receivers. I mean, I went all LSU. I, I could have gone very deep here. Jamar chase and Justin Jefferson. 
Penny Sewell's your starting left tackle. Quentin Nelson's your starting left guard. Frank Ragnow's your starting center. Wyatt Teller's your starting right guard. Tristan Worfs is your starting right tackle. The guy who started at right tackle for the Super Bowl champs, by the way. Uh, Kyle Pitts is your starting tight end. Oh, by the way, I still have Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson on my bench at tight end. Like, I might go three tights. Yeah, in this, yeah, in be, this game. Yeah, in non-goal line situations. Yeah. My my defensive ends are Bradley Chubb and Brian Burns. My defensive tackles, and this is why I'm not as good as that line is for Team Superpower. I'm not sure you can run a play when you got Derek Brown and Vita Vea on the same defensive line. That's pretty nasty. Insanity. Linebackers, Darius Leonard, Devin White, Tremaine Edmonds. Corners, Jair Alexander, Carlton Davis. Safeties, Derwin James and Jesse Bates. That's a really good team. And favorite of the podcast, Matt Campbell is our head coach. Lincoln Riley is the offensive coordinator. Pat Fitzgerald is the defensive coordinator. Dan Mullen is your quarterback's coach. Mario Cristobal coaching the offensive line. Mike Loxley coaching running backs and the recruiting coordinator. Receivers coach is James Franklin. Defensive line coach is Ed Orgeron. Linebackers coach is Luke Fickle. And your secondary coach is Mark Stoops, another favorite of the podcast. I still got team field in this one, Ari. I got team field by by a field goal. Can I say two words? Go for it. Nick Saban. <laughs> that, that's the other part I was worried about. I, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think this would be the greatest thing in the history of television. I would love this game so much. And I wish Forget we could do Pro it. Bowl. I, yeah, no, I don't care about how good players are in the NFL for this exercise. I, I, I think that... There are great players who are just great college players that don't don't uh, project well to the league. And I think for the exercise, I would view them based on how good they were in college. And listen, everybody on this list is good in the pros, too. I'm not saying that, you know, but you know, like even Lamar Jackson has translated extremely well to the NFL, despite the, the fact that people thought that yeah, he jo- wouldn't. Josh Allen but, is better in the pros than he was in college, probably. But I think this would be a pick em. Oh man, you have what, what you've done is you've created two teams without a single weakness. <laughs> the, the depth <laughs> is absurd on Team Field, though. That's the problem. Is somebody gets hurt? Yeah. If you get the wrong guy hurt on Team Superpower, you got a problem. Team Field, it doesn't. They just come in waves, like yeah, it, which is what these teams, which what these teams from Team Superpower do in the real life, in real world, exactly. And that I think I that's why I really appreciated the question because I think it really does illustrate just how lopsided things are. You and I talk about it all the time. We hope things will get better and they'll be different. We don't know if they ever will, but I, I really hope they do because this this part of that's not fun. Like knowing that the, that team superpower exists, like when, when Alabama plays a lower tier SEC team, that is team superpower playing a normal team. And it's just, it's boring. It would be very interesting if we only did it off of this year's rosters. We could. That's another thing we could do. I mean, we could have some fun with it. Yeah, yeah. Because I think the team field would win that game, but I think it would be a good game. I think if you team did it Superpower's just... Superpower's quarterback is... Uh, is is Who is it going to be? DJ? DJ. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or JT? What about JT Daniels? I would go J, uh, DJ just based on what we saw last year in the Notre Dame okay. game. All right. Um. Yeah, but the wide receivers, I think you just put Ohio State's wide receiver room there. Um, yeah. You know, what did well, you do for Alabama's those exercises? Did you, young ones. did you just get 
go to the first round drafts of the last four years and just like pick players off the first round? I use the draft history for the for the superpowers. And then I use first rounders, all pro teams, all America teams and stuff to to populate team field. Yeah. Yeah. I because I, it's like funny because I think that if you did it just on this year's roster, you might have a good game. Depth obviously comes would. into play with the way that football football plays out. It's just a very physical who game. And starting, who are you starting as, as your quarterback on team field using only this year's roster? Sam Howell? Probably Sam Howell, yeah. That's an that yeah, that that's the interesting thing. I think I think you build probably a little bit better offensive line on team field. I think you build a better defensive line on, on team superpower, which again, that explains a lot. That that just explains how how this works. Because like like I said, when when I introduced Team Superpower, if you've got a D, good D line, you've got a chance. Yeah. Um, I guess like Keaton Slovis might be Michael Penix, maybe. Um, Desmond Ritter. Rattler. You you can have Spencer Rattler on on Team Field too. Can I say something? I yeah. saw Malik Willis in person at the mm-hmm. opening. And that guy is built like a six-year NFL veteran. Yes, he is. I, and he's I, very athletic, and his arm is is off the charts good. You know, I, he might be somebody. De'Ara King, Matt Corral. I I I think I think Malik Willis It'd probably be Spencer Corral Rattler. Would be your, yeah, it's it, it's either Hal Rattler, Malik Willis, or Matt Corral. Yeah, I mean, Matt I just, Corral I think because of the. I, I like Matt Corral's fearlessness because he has to play Alabama and he has to play similar talent level when they play LSU. He he's seen it. Like he's not going to be scared and you know he's not scared. He'll throw the ball anywhere. Yeah, that's sometimes the problem. But <laughs> no, he, he uh he I think he would be completely fear. Although Sam Howell I think would be fearless in that situation too. So I yeah. I I really golly that would be fun. It would be it would be so much fun if they could just let's 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 do this before camp Forget starts. Let's play this game. Bowl. Forget the combine <laughs> yes. and the senior bowl. Yeah. Let's just get and let's let's build the list with the with the benefit of watching them play through the entire season. Forget the combine, assemble these two teams and let them go at it and play a real I, game. I would I, I think the scouts would love that. How <laughs> how much do you think that the viewership for that game would rival a big regular season game? Do you yeah, think that the viewership I, I would rival that like Georgia uh Clemson? As long as they didn't play it like the Pro Bowl, as long as they they were serious, and and if you yeah. if if draft spots were on the line, if they felt like yeah. okay, I'm going to get dropped, or I can and you move give these myself te- up. These teams three weeks to prepare mm. for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd watch that instead of the Senior Bowl. I might watch that. Instead sorry, of the sorry, title I'm game. sorry, Jim Nagy. I, I I don't mean you know. Please continue to come on the podcast, but oh my God, I would be at that game and I wouldn't be in the press box. I would be in the front row. With maybe the shirt that, that stars maybe matter. that's how they should do the senior bowl. Yeah, man. That's what I just said. Yeah. No, but I mean that. Yeah. Make that the format. Okay. I I'm, I'm with you. All right. Well, we'll call Jim Nagy and, and see if we can, we can get that switch. The question up. is whether or not you could, you could convince Trevor Lawrence to play in that game. Not a chance. <laughs> Can you imagine Trevor Justin Lawrence, Fields and Tre- Trevor Lawrence played in games they shouldn't have played in already? <laughs> Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence would want to play in that game, and his agent would tie himself in front. He would tie himself to the nose of the plane to make sure it never took yeah. off. 
That's so funny. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my gosh. All right. We before we let you guys go, we need an up we're, we're gonna do a little update on Ari's uh, uh adventures in adulting. That may be our new we need to have it like a jingle for that. Ari's adventures yeah, in adventures adulting. Adventures in adulting. More failures but, in adulting. I think you're doing fine. I, the wallpaper's up. I saw the photo. It actually looks good. Now, I was thinking when you when you first said wallpaper, the more traditional glued-on wallpaper, which is um, just nightmare to take off, they do have the, the stick-on now, and that's the kind you got, which is its own kind of nightmare when you're trying to deal with ripples and, and, and all these other things, but at least you yes. can get it off fairly easy. But Whoever you guys hired to put it up did a, a magnificent job. It, the, the nursery looks spectacular. So let me tell you guys, when we first got this wallpaper, I don't think either of us had any idea the difference between stick-on and roll-on or whatever you just said. I had no – I thought they were all stick-on. And we had somebody come over, and the surface of our walls, there are two types of surfaces where you have completely flat walls with no pat, like no drywall on it. And you have other types of uh, walls that there are patterns They're in the textured. drywall. Yeah. Textured drywall. My house was textured, is textured drywall. It looks nice. And somebody like me would walk into a room and never notice the difference between regular, just flat drywall and that. But we had the first person that we had quoted to come put the wallpaper up, came into the house and looked at the wall and had a literal meltdown. She could not have left the house faster. She said, I can't do this. The texture makes this impossible. <laughs> she goes, you guys made a big mistake. You should return this if you can, and just left. And I was just like, oh, my God, you can't return wallpaper on, on a wall that we measured in order to get this the right size. So we had to get somebody to come in and look at the wall, and they had to detexturize the wall. And this is like a three-day thing because I had to come in, and I don't know what they did. I removed myself. You didn't have to scrape popcorn off a ceiling. That 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 would yeah, be worse. No, we didn't. Our house was built recently, so we don't have popcorn on the ceiling. But this person had to scrape the texture off the drywall and then reapply drywall on top of it to make the wall flat. And this was like a three-day exercise, and I was downstairs while the person was doing it because it gave me anxiety. Um, but when it finally was finished, it turned out great. And it looks great and there's no bubbles. And uh, it seems to me that it'd be super simple to peel it off. And the cool thing I like about the wallpaper more than anything is that it doesn't look like an infant wallpaper. So as our daughter matures in age and becomes a five, six, seven, eight, nine year old, they would still fit a child's bedroom. So I think that we will either sell the house with that wallpaper up or we will keep that wallpaper long enough for the um, for our daughter to enjoy it into her early teens at the, at the latest. So, yeah. Uh, or, or when she's one and a half, she just tears it down while she's yeah careening around the room. Just that could happen. Just be, be prepared for that. So it was more expensive our, than we thought it was going to be, but there was no issue in applying it because we didn't have to do it. Would it cost a lot less to paint that room and you could just paint it. Probably would have. Yes. But I don't whatever. think whatever. Neither of us considered the fact that the textured wall would make it harder. And that's like the problem. It's always you know, when something. you own All, always when something. you own a home, <laughs> it's thinking about things that you wouldn't ever consider. Right. And and the thing is when you've owned a house for 10 years, those things will come to mind. It's just it's the surprises and then you've got to write a check, which are incredibly frustrating. That's exactly what happened. Yes. 
I remember my first house. It's like, wait, we got to do that. We have what is that? Wait, that costs what? And you just have no idea what things are supposed to cost. What can happen if you do this? Like what the what the chain reaction is if you do this one thing? And yeah, so you but you're you're moving along now. Uh, you're, you've told us about your adventures cutting the grass for the first time. And look, we all understand you didn't get to cut, cut the grass as a kid. Uh, you grew up in Arizona. Uh, but one of our listeners, Claire, wanted to send you in a story to, to make you feel a little better about how tough your first grass cutting experience is. Because you've, you've gotten back on the horse, right? You, you're gotten back on the mower. Well, the thing that I found out after the fact, because I, I jokingly put up a video of me... Um, cutting it and everybody's like why is there a bag on the back of your lawnmower and i was which i said before you even cut it (laughs) and i will say that the worst part about mowing your lawn is bagging the the shavings yeah that's why nobody does it i've gotten back and mowed my lawn without it with i just with the mulcher piece on the back of it and it makes it infinitely easier and far quicker. And now I feel like I've conquered how to mow my lawn. Now, the second you, you thing have. that I've got to figure out is I have a weed whacker that takes the same battery as my electric mower, which is something that everybody else was making fun of me about, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I hit the weed whacker too close to the fence and the mm-hmm. wire on the end of the weed whacker felt like snapped. So I have to reapply more string to the edge of the weed whacker, and I couldn't think of anything I would rather not do. Respool it. Yeah, respool it. There are YouTube videos for. There are YouTube videos for every weed whacker that show you how to respool them. I want to give up lawn care completely because the thought of doing that is so daunting. It makes my stomach turn. Don't do it. You watch a three-minute YouTube video, and you'll figure it out. Do not be like our friend Claire. Let's hear Claire's story, and I, I guarantee you. You're going you're gonna to feel better. Hey, Andy and Ari. After the random ranking of worst household chores and the continuous encouragement of Ari as he tries to adult, which, let's be honest, we're all just trying, I felt like y'all needed to hear my inaugural grass-cutting story. So this is Columbia, South Carolina, circa 2001. I was probably about 10 years old. And my dad decides that this random Saturday in July was the day that I needed to learn how to cut grass. So he takes me outside, shows me the self-propelled lawnmower, tells me how it works, and leads me to my own devices for 10, 15 minutes. And then comes back outside to see what I've accomplished. He comes out and everything is zigzag, looks a little cattywampus, and he is livid. But what he fails to realize is, is that the handle of the lawnmower and I are essentially the same height. I can't see over the handle, much less tell whether or not I'm cutting in a straight line. I'm just looking at my feet thinking, hey, I walked across grass that was cut. I did a good job. Oh, no. He was highly displeased. Everything was terrible. He sent me inside and said, I've had enough. You're not being a team player. You're not even trying. And so that was the first and yes, the last time that I ever cut grass. 
Side note, my family still to this day thinks that I was just being manipulative and did a bad job on purpose so I wouldn't have to cut the grass, but that's not true. I'm just short. Claire's dad thought she would, at 10 years old, cut it like the groundskeeper at Wrigley Field. Claire got off easy. I'm. Uh, thank you for the encouragement, Claire. And I'm so happy that she never has to go through that again. I wish I would have. It would have been a brilliant I, thing I for me like to completely cl- mess up on purpose. And my fiance would tell me to hire a lawn landscaping company. Claire's dad ruined a potentially great lawn mowing career by being mad that she couldn't like she couldn't carve the mountains into the grass like they did at Coors Field for the All-Star game last week. Claire like, yeah, you don't expect a 10-year-old to do that. A multi-million dollar landscaping business went out the window that day. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and and it's a good lesson for me because you know my son is about to turn 12. He is he is right there on the ver- I let him I let him use the chainsaw to cut something the other day. I let him cut a little little branch with the chainsaw while I was doing some other stuff with the chainsaw. Uh, I might turn him loose on the yard here in a bit, probably pretty soon. Probably probably should have already done it, but it's, it's definitely about that time. But I've got to remember, I can't pull the well. I can just do this better myself in ten minutes and kick him out. I got to show him how to do it. I got to yeah, teach him to have fish. To do it again. I can't give him a fish. I got to teach him to fish. Yeah, or you could teach him how to pay for somebody to fish for him. I don't think that's a good lesson, Ari. I think <laughs> that's, that's a pretty terrible life me. lesson. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, I'm, I, I feel like the house is almost furnished. We got the couch coming in soon. The nursery is completely set up. I built the crib with the help with my, of my parents. I built the, the swivel chair. And the chair. Allen wrench. <laughs> yeah, and the Allen wrench. Uh, we bought a dresser that was as easy as just clipping the drawers back in. So that room, which was the one that was giving my future bride, the most anxiety is completed. So we are, um, you got still, the glider. Do you have the glider? Got the glider. Yeah. Oh my God. If I, yeah. The glider was another story. Maybe I'll tell you that one next week. I don't want to. <laughs> um, my fiance I can't, I, is, I can't is, wait till you try to sell the glider on Craigslist when your kids get she, too old. She was, uh, she's four eleven, So she's very, She's a small person and trying to find a glider that she could sit in comfortably with her feet touching the ground was a battle. And I think it's the cutest thing in the entire world because the entire point of having a glider is the ability to use your feet to rock the chair. And like her size was a real problem. And it turned into a whole thing of um, going to multiple stores during COVID to try to test these things out. And the ones that she thought were cute for the nursery weren't in stock. And it was a whole meltdown of how are we going to get a glider that we know she'll be comfortable in. So we finally found one. But that was uh, uh, another adventure in the life of Ari Wasserman's uh, growth as a human being. And, you know, another another lesson uh, of how to persevere and, and get stuff done. And, and now it's done and it feels good that it's in the rearview mirror. Give a man a glider. And his wife will glide for a day, teach a man to glider, and she'll glide for a life. I think that's how that goes. I, I'm so proud of you, Ari. I can't, I can't tell yeah. you. Thank you so much for the... I mean, I, I'm surprised we're still talking after such an elegant close. <laughs> no, we're done. We're absolutely we're done. done. <laughs>